This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, I'm Dr. Julie Humphreys. And I'm Natasha Whitehurst. And in this episode, we'll be talking about LGBTQ plus families and the adoption process. Hello, and in today's episode, we are going to explore modern families. And we are joined by Paul and Michael Atwell Bryce, multi award winning disability advocates and charity ambassadors who are very well known for their roles as dads to not one, but two sets of identical twins, Levi, Lucas, Luton and Lance, which I do follow you avidly on Instagram, massive stalker confession. So huge welcome to you both. Hi, it's great to be here. It's great to be talking to you. So excited to have you. Yeah, we've been looking forward to this. Um, So we're going to get straight into it and ask you, what makes a modern family? Well, what makes a modern family? Well, we also take part in the Modern Family Show, which is great because you get to see exactly what makes a modern family. And it's even like fascinating to us because there's so many different routes into parenthood now. Um, And I think a little example is our younger two. So the older two, Levi and Lucas, go to a special needs school. So you never really see any of the other parents. And when we were getting Lilton and Lanson into school, we were a bit anxious that we'd be kind of the odd ones out. But really, I mean, the teachers said to us straight away, there's three same-sex couples just within the little two Lilton and Lancers class. So it's just, it's a massive thing now, obviously. One in five adoptions in England go to a same-sex family. And a, a, a modern family is just diverse, it's unique. Um, we've spoken to seahorse parents, which is trans transgender parents that have gave birth and when they've when they've transitioned to another gender um so many different types and variations of of modern families now it's just unbelievable you can almost be anything can't you to be a modern family i think those days of 2.4 children are kind of very much uh, a long time ago there's still a lot of work to do in society with diversity and families being very different, unique and beautiful in all different ways. But it's about just love. That's what the priority is here, love. I think that's why we like to put ourselves out there a lot because some people, especially the generation probably above us, they they don't realise that you can adopt, you can foster and that there's roots to parenthood. So we are still registered foster carers as well and we have one foster child as well as a small boy. So we have a house full yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and pe- when people say, Paul and Michael, you love knackered. We're like, yes, we've earned this. But when, we, when, uh, when we do these adoption and fostering information evenings and people from the LGBT community turn up and they were like, we, we didn't realize, we still thought it were against the law to foster and adopt if you were a gay person or if, if you, you were part of the LGBT community. And it's like, it, that still needs to get out there, doesn't it? That, and I think that's part of our drive and passion to show that you can still become a parent if you want mm-hmm. to, regardless of who you are 
as a person. Yeah. And sadly, there's still a big taboo out there. And we hear and see it quite a lot. We, and, you know, we're not living in the 80s. No. In 2023. So take us through your journey then, if you don't mind, from um, pre-fostering and adoption. Um, how, how did it come about? Why did you do it? What was the process? Well, I mean, I'm very open about my life anyway, um, because I'm proud of it. I grew up in foster care early on. I'm adopted. I was adopted into a big family. Um, I was a sibling group of five adopted into a family that already had four adopted children. So there were nine of us. And, you know, it's been, that was kind of yeah. done in the 80s. I don't think it's something that happens a lot now, is it? That's a big no, family, it's... that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you're, laugh, you're laughing, Michael. <laughs> no, it was funny, wasn't it? Because you'll say, like, the, what, what were the nine children in the house? And you used to have to go in a massive minibus, didn't you, to go on holiday and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, uh, it's about being proud of who you are, your heritage, all those kind of things. I'm not ashamed to, to talk about being adopted, growing up in foster care, because there are so many children in foster care and I think still, even to this day, the children that are in care, us mm. looked after, they feel that sense of shamefulness. And I don't want them no. to feel ashamed of who they are. When we were growing up, you, you could never imagine, because I knew I was a gay from quite a younger age, and you, you never saw any same-sex families on TV or out and about, because it, it were against the law at that time. I think it was 2002 when they changed the law that people from the LGBT uh, Q community could adopt and foster so that's when we got together when the law was just changing yeah but we, we never planned to be parents at that time did we We were kind of got settled uh we were doing well in those jobs we got a house we had holidays to cuba and mexico and <laughs> <laughs> you know what the only thing i miss prior to being a parent is being able to have a bath for an hour <laughs> I miss those moments of like just waking up at 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, Those days are well and truly gone. Oh, well and truly gone. So, um, yeah, we were quite settled weren't we, when we first started out, and we used to look after my sister's kids. Um, we'd always be around children and stuff. And then we initially looked into just. Uh, we just looked into fostering first. That's how we kind of started. So we we joined an independent fostering agency. And for quite a while, we one didn't seem to be getting any referrals or any children coming in. And we thought, is it because we're gay? Is it because we're a same-sex couple? Why aren't we getting a placement? And it, it felt very much like that because we were one of the first like same-sex couples to be approved for fostering in our area. So we were all very new. And I think some local authorities were anxious at placing children with a same-sex couple at that time. It's very different now. Mm. But we did eventually get a placement, um, a teenage boy, and uh, it just kind of went from there, didn't it? We were doing fostering, we were part of the fostering community, we were still working as well. And then we decided we wanted as own children, like forever children, because fostering adoption is very different. Obviously, fostering, they still got the birth parents. They still often have contact with the birth parents and birth family. It's very different to adopting and having your own children. Um, and 
becoming their legal parent and and they are responsibility so sorry i was going to jump in there dr go ahead um how many how many children have you fostered over the years do you mind us asking yeah well, um, we started when i was 21 so when we were doing short-term placements that's the thing that can come in and only be with for a few months or a year so yeah. it's quite a lot into it been knocking on for like a hundred really because sometimes they're like short-term placements and stuff and then we've had like sibling groups as well so we've had more than one child at a time so it and and that's really nice because the ones that we've had from babies we'd fostered a lot of babies in as career as foster foster carers and prepared them for adoption so now that we had as babies from like special care baby unit and now like 14 15 year old and we've kept in touch with their adoptive families and they still come over at christmas and that part of it's really special isn't it to see how, how they do it it makes you feel very old but that's what it does i have to go back to me and say you both don't look um very tired because you did say you both look very tired but you actually don't and there's like massive grins on both your faces when you're talking about all of this so well you know I- you know, I think that the medicine we have is humour. We're able to laugh at things mm. and when things go wrong and we, we, you know, there is a serious side to us because we have two boys with such health complex needs. There's no question about that. And we spend our life obviously worrying all the time with them. But we have to be able to try and place it in our lives to be able to succeed. And we use humour a lot of the time. Because without humour, what is there? There isn't anything, is there? So, so you mentioned earlier there were challenges. Um, can you talk to us about what some of those challenges were and how you overcame them? Challenges with... Um, when you were going through the process, potentially you thought that there was a reason why you weren't getting some of the babies yeah. or some of the children. So when we were um, started off with the fostering side, I was only 21. So they were they were anxious about that as well when they were doing the assessment that I wasn't old yeah. enough or what I wasn't mature enough. But you obviously have a, an intense assessment, and they did used to say because this is like a deprived area where we are, and it's like an ex ex mining village. They um, they were just banging on. Have you got a criminal record? Are you sure you've not been in trouble when you've been at school and all this lot and oh, saying, wow. yeah, it were very much like that. So you're really probed, but um, our assessor were really good. Uh, she were brilliant at doing the assessment but we were anxious at obviously going because then you have to go in front of a panel of people and be mm-hmm. approved we're anxious at their comments and if, if it were going to be an issue and it, it... But when you go you go to a fostering panel where you are approved to be um foster carers and it's like 15 people sat around this table really? and i remember i remember I there was one there was one panelist mm-hmm. this um she was saying from a different generation to put it nicely um to us i think they were a counselor one too yeah so <laughs> that says a lot and um he wanted to ask a question he had a question and his question was i think it was something like um when we we're taking them to school if they'd if they would get bullied or because we were a same-sex couple wanted it something like that um you know and I, that just shows the mentality mm-hmm. of how some people think but wow. to type have changed a lot because there were fostering agencies at that time that wouldn't that wouldn't let us 
foster girls because we were two men and that just didn't make sense at all as this as a same-sex like gay couple it, there's some of the like rules and and what they used to do back then they've all changed now it were very it was quite isolating because 99 percent of the foster carers or adopters were straight weren't they i mean when you look at it years ago when i was younger to, to be uh gay was something that was kind of hidden you know let's mm. just go back and you know but now look at how society is changing and how wonderful it is where you know people are coming to terms with their sexuality and they're being able to share it with their family and friends and yeah. parents are parents are so much more accepting now towards their children and really supporting them and it's just wonderful but there still there still is that homophobia though mm. in the system because recently some of our friends and of a same-sex couple um were going through the adoption process again so they've already got one little boy and the social had found out that the social worker had said the social worker would have preferred the child to have gone to a a, a, a male and female couple yeah. Yeah, yeah, rather, rather than a same-sex couple. Yeah, for no other reason than the sexuality. There were no other mm. reason behind it. Just she'd prefer that, in her eyes, they'd went to a normal couple. So there's still like a lot of yeah. prejudice and, and work to be done. And that were a social worker. Was it was it always uh, going to be a case of fostering or adopting for you, or do you did you consider anything else like sort of surrogacy? We never really we did speak about surrogacy, but it's not something that that kind of felt we wanted to do personally. And I think, you know, we're very open because, you know, Michael grew up in a deprived area, mm. difficult upbringing. I was brought up in care. So, you know, we wanted to give a child that needed that family home a place to live and be part of a family unit. That That's where we were naturally drawn towards. Yeah. And, Almost nature just took its course. And... I know, but back in back in the early days, though, when we were looking into different options, my sister did offer to be a surrogate for us, didn't she? Really? Oh, really? The, yeah, the, the option the option was there, but especially with Paul's like upbringing and, and knowledge, we knew that there were so many children out there that needed a home, and why bring another one into the into the world when there's so many waiting to be. But adoption is the most—it's the most beautiful thing ever. It really, really is. And, you know, if it was up to Michael, we would have more kids, <laughs> and you'd have even less bath time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, keeping it real—it's like a military operation leading the house. Yeah. It's not, it takes half an hour to get in the car, and then it all kicks off in the car. Oh, and then you have to take that family selfie—the family selfie. <laughs> <laughs> to get all the kids to sit together, smile, and just for a split second look at the camera. Oh, it's, the, it's the hardest thing ever. <laughs> you know, it really, really is. It's just so hard. But, Brilliant. You know, it's, we wouldn't change any of this for the world. Would we? Heck, no way. And I think going back to what you were saying about, you know, not maybe choosing surrogacy and bringing another child into the world, I was looking and I think. Google, good, good old Google, try saying that quickly, um, told me that it's almost like 60,000 um, children were in foster care at the end yeah. of March 2021. It's a lot of, yeah. a lot of kids, the, isn't it? Yeah, nationally, there's a huge shortage, shortage of foster carers mm. for 
And what, you know, what not, not anybody can be a foster carer neither as well, because it takes a lot of resilience yeah. to become a foster carer. We have to be realistic about this. Mm. You know, we are not machines, we're not robots, we are humans. We have emotions, we have feelings as well. Sure. Uh, that is the reality to it. Not anybody can foster. But if you are wanting to look into it, speak to people in your area, get as much information yeah. as possible, and then make that decision from there and we, decide what you want to do. Back in the day, we were really naive, weren't we? Because we were new carers and we had one certain child placed with us. And they'd had like 19 different foster homes. So it only stayed a few a few months in each one before it were too much for them. And um, we kept him for like three years and it were really hard work because he'd be out smashing windows. It'd be, there'd be lots of trouble brought to the house. British Transport Police, the house has been climbing the, the railings onto the railway tracks and all kinds of different stuff. And we we hung on to him. That what long he said had a, a stable mm -hmm. home, wasn't it? But the, that's the reality. Some of these kids are so damaged because what they've been through, through no fault of their own, mm -hmm. that sometimes... They cannot manage in a family home and they do have mm -hmm. to go into residential because they just cannot because of the trauma and everything that's happened. I mean, you used to go to weekly therapy with and it was exhausting for you, were not it? And it's important to, to say that you guys aren't like multimillionaires living in some sort of like a grand mansion that you've got all staff dealing with all of your children and, and foster, foster kids that are coming in. Like, it's you two yeah. doing everything. Yeah. And that's why we talk about being knackered all the time. <laughs> there is definitely a theme. I'm going to send you a voucher. <laughs> it's, it's real life parenting. Yeah. You know, you can't sugarcoat parenting. Yeah. You, you just really can't. And people don't want to see the fosters. It, it's real. Yeah. And to, to be real to ourselves and to real to everybody else, that's what we are. It's the hardest job in to it is the hardest. The hardest job in the world is being a parent. I don't care what anybody says because suddenly you are not important. It's about your children. And people say to us all the time, Boys, you've got to start looking after yourself because if you're poorly, who's going to look after yeah. the kids? And because we invest so much into the kids all the time, yeah. We often do forget about ourselves. That I I, I think it's just being it's just natural and Yeah. Yeah. So what what drives you on then? If you you recognise how hard it is, you recognise that you don't get enough time for yourselves. The drive we have is to be able to advocate for those kind of children that have not had the best start in life, and simply it is that because you are a child, you are born into this world, you don't ask for any of that, yeah. you know, and all you need is the best possible start in life with the right people behind you, encouraging you, supporting you, parenting you, loving you, and teaching you all those skills for the rest of your life. That is what's important. We grew up in difficult yeah. childhoods, didn't we? Yeah, so, um, I mean, my, my, I were on, like, free school meals and stuff like that, and you didn't have the best trainers, and you got picked on and then bullied because of, like, my sexuality and whatever. So we just wanted the best for our children, didn't we? So we strive to give them the best. Um, they love going to theme parks and to, just to see them happy and smiling. That just makes us happy, doesn't it? Giving them the best childhood that we can. And with that in mind, I was keen to talk to you and kind of follow on that theme of fostering. So have you seen this year's uh, John Lewis Christmas advert? Yeah. Yes, we have. Yeah. 
Um, so for anyone that doesn't know, the ad tells the story of the the kind of the man who takes up the skateboarding hobby a little bit later in life. Um, and, and you kind of see him kind of practicing, but so that he can kind of have that mutual passion with potential foster child. Yeah. It's it's pretty heartwarming, isn't it? And that probably would have, that's quite realistic. So that's probably based on they've got the paperwork for that particular child and this child's going to be moving in with them in a few weeks because this is what can happen. And it may have said in her, in her write-up she loves the skateboard and whatever. So that's kind of portraying that foster carer learning the skateboard. So he's got something in common for when that child turns up at the door. Like she did and, and like they can do, like the little girl did well, is really sombre when she's at the door with the social worker next to her with the lanyard round the neck. And it's very like, for for a child to be took to a stranger's house, I mean, you've experienced it yourself, haven't you? Yeah. The, the reality to this is we are adults sat here talking. Yeah. If any of us suddenly got told you are leaving everything you know now you won't see those people and you are going to live somewhere else as an adult that impact it has on us yeah let alone a child so try and imagine yourself being that child the the, the anxiety all those emotions it's just immense mm. yeah really really is and then some of the children are like scooped up we've had phone calls in the middle at night at the weekend can you take a child because They've been scooped up, there's been drugs, violence, whatever, and they've just been picked out of that and then took to a stranger's house. They don't, they don't know nobody there. They don't, probably wouldn't know the area. It's so hard for them. So we just welcome them in, obviously. You just want them to feel clean, safe, welcome. Um, and it takes a long time, doesn't it, to build up the trust because some of them's been through, like, horrific things. Through no fault of their own. I think it's great what you only have one child. What John Lewis have done highlighting that because especially foster carers are they're not they're not seen as professionals. Other they're not you're not took as a professional person. You're not you, you kind of sometimes feel like you're a glorified babysitter and all the social workers around you make all the decisions and you're always the last to know of things. That that's how it feels as a carer a lot of the times as a foster carer. And that needs to change because without foster carers like opening their homes up, mm. uh, the children would have to go into children's home residentials, and that's not the right place for them. They need to be within a family or uh, until something like adoption is found for them. You know, a, a proper family home that just wants that child and can give them what they need. It's it seems to have got worse because obviously with COVID, a lot of children were missed because it were all hidden, so stuff's being hidden and missed, and then there's now another like influx of children coming into care, because social workers are picking up them issues. Like our few children obviously died in, in COVID, because um, they're abusive homes, and I think that got a, a little bit worse, and it's just, it's just awful what, what's happening, but we can only do it as foster carers, just make them feel like safe and and one once they're brought into care. Yeah, definitely. And you, you know, you've, like you said, you've had potentially over around a hundred, maybe more, and you've got a full house. But Paul, you were honoured with a British British Citizens Award in 2019, um, which honoured that kind of two decades of work within the charitable sector. Um, what What did you do? What 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 did they talk about for that? 
Yes, but Michael got one last year. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, good to you. Oh, sorry, this year. See, I don't even know what year we're in. <laughs> in fact, where do I live? <laughs> <laughs> where am I? What? What's going on? Yeah. 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 So, sorry, I'm being silly now. No, no, oh. we like the silliness. We like the silliness. <laughs> it's normally it's normally one of us. Um, so tell us, Paul, tell us, Paul, what you were recognised for, and then we can come to Michael. It was... To do with uh, fostering and adoption, the work we do with yeah. charity, promoting fostering and adoption and the charity work. And I don't see it as anything special. I really, really don't, you know. That's what you do. What, what we do is no different to anybody else. It were nice though, wasn't it? So the British Citizens Award, you go to the Palace of Westminster. It wasn't an OBE though. No. <laughs> that's coming, that's coming. <laughs> Listen. If anything's to go by, every person that comes on this podcast is an yeah. OBE or MBE or there's yeah. one in the making. Yeah. So, Dame, we've had. I'm putting, it, I'm putting it out there that it's yeah. on your horizon, okay? Yeah. And, and can I say, the re- maybe also, because you just really underplayed what you've done. So all you said was, I've, been, I've, done, I've promoted and I've done a bit of charity work and then you moved away. Let's talk about that. What, what, how are you promoting it? What charity work are you doing? That we are. Because... Levi and Lucas, we have been on such a journey with those boys. Yeah. And, you know, those boys are a love like no other because they are just two children with such complex needs. Uh, they were born into this world with such health difficulties. Um, well, well, actually, one of your anxieties, wasn't it, when we heard about Lutton and Lanson because we got them straight from Special Care Baby Unit. Yeah. You were, we were talking to friends and you were saying, weren't you, I'm, I'm, you, were, you were anxious that could you love another child as much as you love Levi and Lucas? Yeah. So let's just go back to Levi and Lucas quickly. So they have a life-threatening epilepsy, severe autism, learning and behavioural difficulties. Um, we have to feed them. We have to change them. They're doubly inconstant. They're non-verbal. And they are the most beautiful, inspiring souls I will ever, ever know in my entire life. And I could never love anybody as much as I love those boys. Because despite what they go through and despite the difficulties they face, they look at us to guide them and support them all the time. And they are just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And we have been on one hell of a journey with those boys i am talking we levi has been ventilated on life support in piku um because of his epilepsy we have faced huge difficulties and there's no question about that so that's how we got involved with charities at the time because only disabled pa- the parents of disabled children will know this the fight and the battles you have so a lot of people just think everything's on the NHS and you, everything, you get everything for them and stuff like that. And it's just not like that. So when the boys were younger and they needed a special needs buggy because their epilepsy or they were just having meltdowns with their autism, um, we had to turn to charities for help because the NHS don't support or fund quite a lot of the stuff and you have to turn to these charities and that's how we become involved with them. So now we're ambassadors to, to help other families yeah. as well to guide them and show them that you are not on your own. You can get the help. You know, dealing with a disabled child is full on as it is. And when you're knackered and you're exhausted and you've had no sleep 
and you're not eating properly because all your focus is on that child with their needs. Where can you get help? We are lucky that throughout the years of doing this, it's given us some kind of platform to be able to help others. And that is, that's naturally gone that yeah. way to be able to, to support other families because we're all in this together. The, the examples like the boys' tandem bikes. So any other mainstream child, you could just go to Argos or Alfreds or whatever, pick up a, a bike for 50, 100 pounds. The, the boys would never be able to ride a bike. So we applied to different charities and it was Action for Kids, AFK, who were ambassadors for now, who actually got back and says, right, we're going to do a campaign, a Christmas campaign, Levi and Lucas are going to be on that. We're going to raise these funds for these bikes. And the boys' special needs tandem bikes were like £10,000 each. Oh but without them, without their, with that, that type of equipment, the boys won't be able to go on something that's so simple to any other child as a bike ride. They just won't be able to access that. When, when the boys are out on the bikes, the enjoyment and the sensory feedback they get back from that. And now because the charities like AFK, Levi and Lucas are able to experience these, these activities that most of us take for granted. Yeah. Tell you the, the first special needs trikes that the boys got when they were about four or five year old were actually purchased by David and Mrs. Fabio Beckham, weren't they? Yeah. They're really bizarre. How did that happen? So at the time, so the OT, the occupational therapist, so gear listed the different charities that you can apply to, and it's so hard work. So we applied to them. We saw the David and Victoria Beckham Children's Charity or Charitable Trust that they did at the time, and we thought, oh well, we'll, we'll apply to that one as well, and we did, and uh, we got a phone call, didn't we? We were actually putting fuel in the car, yeah. <laughs> and the phone rang, and it was like. Hi, is that Paul and Michael? And we're like, yes. And sure, it's Jackie Adams, Victoria's mom. Yeah. And we were like, we were like, who? Jackie Adams, Victoria's mom. You know, Victoria, Spice Girl. And we're like, oh. really top of the I mean, we've been lucky. We've met a lot of high profile people over the years now, but. But we're really the time. Time. Yeah. she would have slow but she says, Look, it's David and Victoria had set up their own charity, but the one the funds in that charity. She says, I've read about the boys, I've seen the photo, I I, I understand it. I've showed David and Victoria and they're willing to purchase them like directly privately, they'll just buy them. Oh. And um, it it were it were lovely and since then like David signed football shirts for the boys and sent them and they've been framed and and um Jackie, Victoria's mum's kept in touch to send Christmas cards every year. It was just a, a, a bizarre connection that we've just made, wasn't it? Just screw that. So I'm um, I mean, I'm just gonna say it. Like how do like how do you find the time for everything? Because I mean, I can barely look after myself, right? <laughs> no let alone it's just you. No, it's just me. <laughs> Janky. But <laughs> but I mean yeah, I am blown away, honestly. I just think it's because, you know, we want to make sure the kids are always healthy. Yeah. That is our goal and we face such challenging times. Yeah. And it's just it's just our passion. It really, really is. And it's just, it has to come from within and it naturally is there. And Sometimes we do get, like, physically exhausted and we'll just... I'll just fall to sleep on, on sofa at like six o'clock because it catches up with you, doesn't it? So we just try and keep going. 
keep going, keep moving, don't we? But it does catch up. Yeah. Um, our main worry is like we just we can't get poorly because if one of us becomes poorly, it puts more pressure on the other person, and it, and it can be full on, especially with the boy seizures and stuff. Mm. But we're just in such a routine now. Everything it's like a military operation. This isn't us. So this, people say, "How do you do it?" Like you guys. Yeah. And we're like, "But this is normal. Mm. This yeah. is yeah, our sure. day today." So whatever normal is, and I hate that word normal. Yeah. Absolutely hate it. But whatever normal is this this to us this is just our life yeah how we but a lot of people say god it's really this and it's that and we're like but it's there is no other option there's no choice yeah, yeah. we we you know we made that lifelong commitment to these children and we uh, stick yeah. by it and we stand by it and we will till the day we die and here we are and we just do it it goes i couldn't do night keys again so when we got loaded and lantern Paul's really like, he needs his sleep at night time and sleep quite heavy, don't you? So, oh, well, like feeding the babies, they were like propped in my arms and my arms were just crossed with a bottle in each mouth. <laughs> so, like, that, that, that were hard work. I don't think I could manage that anymore because, we've, we've, as well as I could opt in, Lawson and Lanson said, we have fostered quite a few babies and the night feast can be grueling. It can be hard work. I don't think we're just seeing we were just 12 for it now. Go, going back to when Lawson and Lance were babies, I remember. I really struggled um, because of when you love children like Levi and Lucas because of their needs, you have this special love mm. and this unique bond. And I remember uh, we brought Lotus in the lantern and it was wonderful and it was very emotional and all those kind of things. But deep down inside, I was very open about this, deep down inside of me, there was something that just wasn't, wasn't quite right. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more I was... It was niggling and niggling away. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, because you don't just suddenly love somebody. Love has to grow. And it, it you know, and people need to remember that. You don't love somebody straight away. You care for them and you want to love them and you want to do all this. And when we got loads of the lights, I really struggled because I was like, Will I love them as much as I love Levi Locus? And I remember I just said it to one of our friends, one of our girlfriends one evening, who's got three children. And I said to says, you know, when you had your second baby, how did you feel towards the baby? Yeah. And she, straight away, she said it as clear as day, didn't she? She said she really struggled because she was worried. Could she love that child as much as the first? And then I was like, natural, so this is normal. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, and I really used to beat myself up about it. Those issues, not, those issues are not there, by the way, now. <laughs> side note, side note. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're clearly not there. But I, it's, it's about, you know, being open and honest all the time. And yeah. even same-sex couples, a, a woman that gives birth to children, whether it's a second or third, and how they have those feelings, can they love that child the way they love their first, you know, all those kind of things. But it's just parents and being open. So, Paul, you are going to be even more busy because you're in Panto. Yes, so I am playing Dame Cherry Gatto. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> that is <laughs> epic. <laughs> Dame Cherry Gatto. <laughs> Dame Cherry Gatto in Beauty and the Beast. Now, my prior years ago, it's like another life, this. I used to be a pro dancer and I was a performer. Yeah. And, you know... I love doing pantos now because it's only a short fix 
and I still get my fixer performing. Yeah, the family unit are very much involved in all of it as well, and I love it. So I'm going to be playing Dame Chirigasso in Beverly and Beach and the Beast for Tailgate Productions. I'm delighted because I absolutely love it. I've got all my old costumes; they're amazing. I think what's nice is that all the boys really love it, don't they? They get so much enjoyment from coming to watch it. And even, so he's doing like, learning his scripts now and his lines. And Levi... In between everything else. It's like, and just, he, he loves it, doesn't he? He loves like, anything loud and performance. That's why he loves doing like the dancing daddy with Paul. It's just some music on Levi straight up wanting to dance and he just struggle picking him up now, don't you know? He's a bit bigger. So here's a strange fact about me with Panto. I can do Panto's to any audience. I don't... I get slightly nervous, like we all do, but I don't get emotional, and I don't, re you know, I get, I don't get stage fright or anything, and I get on and do it because I love it, and it's a natural thing for me to do. But when Levi and Lucas come to see the show, Michael brings them, and they're there in the wheelchairs. I get really nervous. Oh, I, I get so nervous. Why? I I get so nervous because. I'm their dad, and I always think to myself, I want to make them proud. Mm. And yet, you know, with two children that are nonverbal, with all their disabilities, and they, out of everybody, they make me the most nervous. <laughs> I can do a press night in Panto, and it doesn't bother me. I can have family and friends come and see it. It doesn't bother me. But Levi Lucas sat there makes me so nervous. <laughs> oh, <laughs> It's such a good way, such a good way. That is brilliant. And so thinking ahead, so again, you know, lots going on in the run-up to the end of the year. Um, 3rd of December is International Day of Persons with Disabilities. Um, keen to know from you both, you know, why for you is it an important date? Um, and yeah, how will, will you be recognising it this year? Yeah, so it is a really important day. So anything like that, when they do like Autism Awareness Week and stuff, it's massive because... It needs to be out there more. It needs to be normalised. And we're all about that all the time, normalising it. And it's great what, like, CBBS and stuff do now. We're having different people with different disabilities and whatever in the programmes. And so the next generation now, it's normal to them. So, like, Lawson yeah. and Lanson, it's normal to Lawson and Lanson because they see Levi and Lucas having a seizure and they see them in their chair. So it's normal to them. And it's just normalising it to, to other children and families now as well. So... We're doing, so we do our podcast, Disability, mm. and we're going to be filming that in the London Eye in one of the pods um, and getting some guests on, some uh, parents to talk about disabilities and breaking everything down and uh, the chat, some of the charities like AFK are going to be coming down and supporting it and then some of the families are going to get to have a, a free ride on, on the eye and stuff in the wheelchairs and we're all about that all the time, just breaking it down and including children like Levi and Lucas in everything all the time and just normalising it. Yeah, and just showing the world, regardless of your disabilities, you're as beautiful as anybody else and you're as important as anybody else. Yeah. And the world needs to hear more of that. I think I think that's absolutely perfect way to wrap up actually because we say that inclusion is an action on this podcast so we're going to finally ask uh, each of you what your top tip is or inclusive action that you'd want to share with our listeners 
Top tip. Do you want to go first? Top tip. I'll just say top tip for listeners. So if you if you run a small business or any type of company, sometimes small adjustments can make a massive impact to families like ours. So just the simple things like, you know, taking part in the Autism Awareness Week and maybe turning the music down a little bit, having an autism hour for, for children like Leo and Lucas, just small little things sometimes. Or if you see a child that this is for anybody across the board, or you're just assumed being naughty, having a tantrum in a supermarket on the floor or something. Sometimes there could be something behind that, like neurodiversity or uh, an autism diagnosis or a child that might be getting diagnosed from us. So that's what we always struggled with when, when we were taking the boys out when they were younger. People would tut and stare and make a comment that they were being naughty and uh, there's such naughty children. There's a lot of the time there's something behind that. So just say to everybody in general, if you do see anything like that, just think there might be a diagnosis or a condition or something behind that. It's not always just an naughty child having a yeah. tantrum or bar. Mine's really not a tip, but mine is to anybody who listens to this is if you see a family out there with a disabled child, talk to them, say hello, yeah. smile, engage with them. You know, don't just stare and just let them see that they're accepted. They're, they're just human like everybody else and that's all I can say on that. So, do you want to share? share, share <laughs> do you? <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. So, do you want to share how people can follow follow your uh, family life? So, we are on Instagram as um, at the Atwell Bryce family, and um, we're on Twitter, aren't we? Yeah, so we're on all social media. It's re- really easy for us, actually, because we're the only Atwell Bryce's, obviously, because we've double-barreled it and there's nobody else that are Atwell Bryce's other than our family. So, <laughs> We're even on LinkedIn. <laughs> yes, I, I, I am the, the queen of the stalking because I do follow you on all of your social media platforms. <laughs> I promise there is no nothing in specific. <laughs> well, you know, if there's any families out there listening and your parents and they need any help and support, support and guidance, reach out to us. You know, we are very open people. We, yeah. but we always get back to our messages, always. Yeah. Might be an hour later, but we always do because we know how important that response is. So just reach out to us. Thank you. What a conversation. We are so grateful to get some of your time. Thank you for joining us. You are both so inspirational. This has been such a beautiful conversation. And, you know, thank you for everything you're doing um, because you're both amazing I, I don't know about amazing i think we're just parents but it's been it's been great to talk to you about and yeah thanks for having roll we really enjoyed it it's been great to talk to you about can't wait to have you back when you're both obes <laughs> <laughs> watch this space <laughs> <laughs> so energized that was really good <laughs> was it actually i wasn't sure dramatic pause yeah there was <laughs> um I, I, that is awesome really interesting i've learned loads um i was loads of stuff that i wanted to say that we didn't even get to i know i could have done like a double podcast yeah yeah no it was it was really good highlights um i really like that they said that you know the focus for them is just about you know, love and kids just need love. I know. That's it. And 
I think sometimes we can all get a little bit lost, can't we? I think, you know, we're in, we're at the time of, you know, we're, at the moment we're talking about cost of living and, you know, big focus and kids feeling left out and money's sparing, but actually kids, kids need love. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just think they're such an inspirational pair. Mm. And, and they're talking about needing resilience, but you know, not having any time to, to do anything for themselves, but you can see they've got that inner resilience that. Yeah, that they and they feed off each other, and that's yeah. how they get through things, which was really awesome. I mean, we started off talking about modern families, didn't we? And we yeah, so we didn't really, um, so we unpicked for them. It was about love. Yeah. Um, and when we look at so so research, uh, so there's a great parenting charity, uh, LGBT charity called P3 Network. Um, and they have said about the wording around modern families that, that they don't want that wording, that they want it to be more commonplace and, you know, and, and it's just relatively ordinary for same-sex parents. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that whole session just with, you know, with them both was just, just showed that it's, it is just commonplace and relatively ordinary. Um, but what they do is not commonplace and relatively ordinary. Not at all. And I think, you know, for the people that have always kind of looked at same sex, whether it be fostering or adoption as, you know, like there's going to be all these problems. I was reading on, I think it's Quorum Adoptions website. Oh, and I researched that um, studies have suggested that actually same sex families are thriving and they score particularly well in assessments around like well-being, etc. Yeah. Do you know what? And also, same um that gay fathers show greater levels of interaction with their child yeah. than any other um type of parent which mm. is is fascinating so i think there's there's all of that that we could have explored but i liked their um their top tips yeah very good so the first one if you're a small well i think this goes for any business but they did talk about michael talked about small businesses but i think it goes for any business, you yeah. know, being mindful, yeah. you know, lowering music, um, you yeah. know, thinking about children and, you know, not, I think it just goes to that thing, doesn't it? Like, don't look down on people when you don't know their mm. background or their story or why someone's behaving like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what, what resonated for me was around the, you know, don't assume about uh, or make judgments about children who you think are being naughty. Yeah. That, I know, so... Uh, Kids have meltdowns in supermarkets. That's what's happened, and that's what does happen. And you know, you see and you feel as, as it's happening as a parent, you just feel crushingly embarrassed. Yeah. Um, because you know, people are just going to stare at you and yeah. throw tomatoes. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that, but that, that, that's what people are like, and so that's what we should all do. We should, you know, when that's happening, maybe let's just be kind. Yeah. You know, have a bit of love in our hearts, and you know, just think about what that person's going through. Definitely. And I think that then goes to Paul's comment, which was around, you know, if you see a family out and they've got disabled children, don't just kind of stand and stare, like engage with them, yeah. ask the questions, even if you don't want to go over and talk to them, a smile and a bit of eye contact, you know, l looking at them with pity or whatever mm. isn't helpful. Actually, why don't you engage in some way? Yeah. Yeah. Loved it. Loved it. Couldn't um, have my comment about John Lewis advert. Didn't seem appropriate. But Go on. What was your comment? Well, my comment really is yes, I love that advert in terms of the 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 uh, the, the idea that the dad really tries to do something to um, warmly welcome mm. the young foster girl. 
But actually what we're doing also is portraying a dad as a hapless man, again, which a lot is ha- it's happening a lot lately. Um, a hapless man. Tell yeah. me more about that. Well, they, if you look at some adverts now, it's, you know, and, and you know, we're in DNI, so we know that there's been a long line of strong men doing things and it's the hapless woman just standing in the kitchen sort of like doe-eyed sort of putting the dinner on and putting a bow in her hair ready for her husband to come home we've seen yeah so there's a change there's a sea change now but what we've seen is a massive change in the other direction and we've got lots of hapless men hapless fathers mm. who can't really do anything and that's being portrayed quite a lot in advertising in my opinion um and i just thought it was interesting that, that in the john lewis ad you know it's a, it's a man who couldn't skate skateboard and he just, and he was quite hapless at that. Yeah. But trust him. It still made me cry. Yeah, that's what you're like. Didn't make me cry. <laughs> Hard work. Harder stuff. Um, <laughs> no, great episode. And yeah, even, you know what? Even if it encourages one or two people to, mm-hmm. you know, embark Explore. on that fostering or adoption yeah. journey, yeah. Um, it's worth it because look at, look at the greatness that comes from it. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter. Our handles are in the show notes below. And if you've liked what you've heard, please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically. Thanks for listening.